Tonight uh, we'll be in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Hebrews 13. Finish the book up here tonight, and then we start James next week. That'll be a good one. James. He's a good brother. You've got to wear a helmet when you read James. He's pretty rough, but I appreciate that. All right, we'll pray and we'll get started here. Lord, we thank you for this evening and the opportunity we have to spend time in your word. It's refreshing for us. The praises that we sing to you, since we're made for that, bring us peace. The songs are for you, but somehow we get blessed by singing to you. And so Lord, we thank you for that, working that out, making it that way. You could have done it a lot of different ways, but you, you did it that way. And we're so blessed by that, especially that song about just pouring our praises on you as we'll even study that tonight, God. Your Holy Spirit's very, uh, it's just amazing how you coordinate things. So Lord, I thank you for that work. I pray for the teachers that have prepared their lessons, and they've had busy days today, I'm sure, and are trying to stay in the Spirit and minister to these kids. I pray that you'd bless them, give them the desires of their heart. I know they'd like to get across a certain portion of the Scripture to the kids, and it's wonderful when they can see that light bulb go off on these kids' hearts, and uh, I pray that that would take place on the other side here tonight. Lord, keep everybody safe and help us to understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 13, verse 1 starts with, let brotherly love continue. Apparently, it's not hard. (laughs) When you become a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you're filled with his Holy Spirit. And so the default at that point is to love one another, because that's what the Holy Spirit is. In fact, that's the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22, is love. And so when the Holy Spirit has free reign and our flesh is not in the way, brotherly love continues. So the writer here has to encourage the reader to tell them, let it. That's the only, only thing we have to do is get out of the way. Seems simple. <laughs> it isn't. Our flesh is, is so much control over so much of our lives. It's sometimes even hard to recognize when it's just our flesh and not some kind of justified anger that we think we have. And so he reminds them, it's a simple verse. If you want to memorize a verse, you can say, I've memorized Hebrews 13.1. Let brotherly love continue. I like short verses. I can memorize those. So as he concludes this whole book of explaining to the Hebrew people, that this is a better covenant than the old covenant. This new covenant we have is superior in every way. The priest that we have in Jesus Christ is superior. The sacrifices that we offer are superior. Everything is superior. He tells them in these final chapters several things, kind of rapid fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly Entertained angels. Well, that's a great verse. We spend a lot of time on that. Most of you probably heard that verse and talk about it all the time. I'm sure we have, but, and I know we like to identify. That's the big thing. I think that person was an angel. You know, we we have those comments and conversations. From the way the scripture reads, you won't know. You just do it. You do it regardless, and unwittingly, that means unknowingly. It means you never know. You don't have to know. Any stranger could possibly be an angel, and I think that's his point. You just don't know. 
So entertain them all. Entertain every single one of them. Don't determine beforehand, they might be an angel. They got a big coat on. They, wings are under there or something, you know. Just serve them. Don't forget to entertain strangers. That's probably not tongue-in-cheek, but he is letting them know that God's always watching and God is ever-present in everything that we do, and, and that should be enough for us. The accountability there that the Holy Spirit dwells in me and is watching what I do and is a part of everything that I do should be enough for me to, to want to entertain strangers. He says, and who knows, it may have been an angel that you ministered to. Now, it's a, an angel's a funny word in the Bible. It means messenger. It doesn't mean winged creature. That's when you get into seraphim and, and all those things. Those are identifiers for actually winged creatures that were here before us, before we were created. Cherubim, things like that. Angel simply means messenger, can be a seraphim or a cherubim or an archangel of some kind, some heavenly being, but it can also be, as in Revelation 1, just a teacher, just a pastor. I'm an angel. There's no amens for that. I don't know (laughs) what to think of that. Uh, technically, every one of us is, as we go out and share the message of Jesus Christ, we are messengers of God. We share the truth of God's word. You're an angel. You are. I appreciate that about old, you know, Kathy, who's past sense, but she'd always call me her angel. I'm like, I like that. I'll take that. She liked me. <laughs> Verse 3. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Parenthetical statement is what the punctuation means, those who are mistreated. Since you yourselves are in the body of Christ. And so he's speaking here of the persecuted Christians, the persecuted church. That doesn't mean that you don't minister to people that aren't just persecuted Christians in prison. You want to do that. We did that last night. It was a wonderful time, wonderful time of ministry out here at the treatment center. Beautiful time. And we do that, and we see that in Acts 16, we see, we see Paul doing that with, with Silas, ministering to those folks by singing hymns and psalms in the middle of the deepest, darkest parts of the prison. And, and uh, it was interesting, I've never studied that passage beyond just that, just a cursory view of it, you know. And as I was studying it, I was thinking, well, what caused the jailer to get saved, because that's the point of the story, it really does follow the jailer, who walks in and says they're all gone because all the doors had opened up, the prison doors and the chains had all happened. What saved him was that Paul and Silas stayed. That's not what saved him. It's that no other prisoner left. I don't know if I've ever noticed that before. I mean, anybody that's there who doesn't want to be there, and that's everybody, and the door's opened up, and it's dark, well, you make a run for it. But they didn't. Something happened to every single one of those prisoners. They were touched by Paul and Silas, for sure. They were born again, more than likely. They wanted to stay close to where they encountered God, and they didn't want to go anywhere. And they apparently felt accountable. These these bars aren't keeping me here. My conscience is. I deserve this. I need to go through this. This is my time. I own my sin. What a wonderful message for, well, everybody. I don't want to get away from my sin. I don't want to hide from it. I'm, I'm thankful that I'm forgiven of my sin, but 
if Christ hadn't died on the cross, God forbid, I know I deserve hell. I know I do. So what a wonderful thing. So we do minister to those who are in chains, who are in prison for their own sake, because of what they've done, because they are deserving for sure. This here is particularly speaking of those who are part of the persecuted church. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 36 through 40, we have another encounter with Christ Jesus as he's sharing with them. He says in verse 36, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Persecuted church is a horrible thing in this world. More Christians are killed now than they ever have been before. You just don't hear about it because we got it coming, I guess, according to the world. We don't document those things anymore. Top 10 are North Korea. After that, Afghanistan. Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Antria, I think that's how it's pronounced, Yemen, Iran, Nigeria, and India. India, of all places. It's number 10 on the list of most persecuted. China didn't even make the top 10. And we know how bad that is there. Russia hasn't made the top 10. Anywhere there's communism, Christianity is hated. It's in competition. And they don't like competition. So we need to pray for the persecuted church worldwide. That's about as much as most of us will be able to do. Sometimes we can financially support people that are actually there. But very few of us are actually going to go into any of those countries in our lifetime anyway. Who knows? God may send you there. Wonderful. May God protect you, but also not protect you. May God's ministry be fulfilled through you, whatever that may be. But we do need to pray for them. That's something we can do. I was, good, I was thinking about doing something like that as I read this. Is, wouldn't that be interesting? Because I know we want to pray, and we kind of have a hard time. I'm, I, I shouldn't, I'll speak for myself. I have a hard time remembering to pray as much as I can. I pray a lot. I think we all do. But there's a lot of opportunities that I have that I don't take advantage of it. Let's put it that way. I can do better. And so I've made certain things in my life, adjustments for my own prayer life. I, made a, I took pictures of you people and people that I like and, and even people that I don't like. And I, and I put them on a list and I go through those photos and I, and I pray for them looking at their face. That helps me. And just a name. My mind wanders. I'm, I mean, my goodness. If there was ever a candidate for some kind of prescription, I'd be the guy, you know. So I look at those pictures and I go through it. And sometimes they're pictures, especially of my family, come in often, you know, sporadically through the list. And that helps me do that. But what if we did something like that in here or out there or something? Because I know some of you folks, you know, come into this place when no one's here. And if you need to know where the key is, we'll tell you where the key is. It's no big deal. It's not a big secret. You know, it's in the window over here in the breezeway. And just come on in. It's your place, you know, but putting something up on the wall, maybe, you know, countries of the persecuted churches and not necessarily stations of the cross. I want to avoid that. You know, some of you know what I'm talking about, but to be able to stand and say, oh, that's right, Nigeria. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one of those top tens. I need to pray for them. I need to pray for those. God, I lift up all those brothers, you know, and sisters. 
that are suffering way more than I'll ever experience, you know. Comfort them. Lift them up. So, very important. Pray for them. Uh, remember them. That's like, you know, it's, it's no more than that is what he's asking. Just don't forget the prisoners that are chained. As, and, and think of them as if you're chained with them. It needs to be that way. You know, after last night and, and being at the Maryville Treatment Center, it, it's, it's hard for me, and not that I want to get rid of it, but it was hard for me to unshackle myself to those souls, you know, to say, well, that was one event. Now let's go on to the next event, Wednesday night service. It was difficult for me, and I don't know that it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be difficult for me to not remember their names and their faces and all the people that were there. Um, struggling, but also coming to Jesus and, and trying to work their life out again for some. For others, this is repeat, you know. For others, it's the first time. And so he calls us to that, to remember them as if you're chained with them. And so it's, that's a good thing when you can't separate your soul from theirs when it comes to the body of Christ. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, we have the church of Smyrna, one of two churches that actually is uh, blessed by Jesus Christ, that one in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is the one that has a little bit of power, but they're faithful to the Lord, and Smyrna is the persecuted church. Of the seven, those two. He says this, verse 8, And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things, says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life, I know your works tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which they are about, which you are about to suffer. In other words, I know you're going to suffer, but I'm not going to stop it. Don't fear this. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. For the most part, we feel we're the Church of Philadelphia, or at least would like to fall into that category. I certainly don't feel like the Church of Smyrna at all. That can change. And I think as we pray our way through the Church of Smyrna worldwide, and if we were to become the Church of Smyrna in America, persecuted, I think we'd be far better prepared for what's coming because we've already shackled ourselves to them and considered ourselves in prison with them if it happens to us. The only thing that's happened that's different is physical imprisonment. We've already spiritually shackled ourselves to them. So I think it's a good thing. I think we should continue in that. Verse 4, marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. He says, remember that. Being married is a good thing. It's honorable to be married. And your bed that you share with your wife or with your husband is undefiled. It can't be defiled. It's yours. We've got funny views about procreation. What's the right word to use in a mixed crowd like this? We have funny feelings about that because it's private, as it should be. Because it's supposed to be discreet. It's supposed to be between two people, not 12, knowing about it, you know. But know this, for those of you who are married and those of you who are going to be married, the marriage bed is undefiled. 
It's all designed by God. It was all his idea. Every aspect of it is pure and beautiful in marriage. It's wonderful. We get this idea that that part of marriage, the physical part, is somehow dirty and needs to be hidden in the dark places. That only comes from Satan. He's twisted it. He's twisted it. And since we've joined in some of his twistings of those things, we've kind of brought that in, and especially if you weren't saved before you got married and you have prior experience in that area, and then you bring that into your marriage, and it's very difficult to separate those two. That's why fornication is so important to avoid, to stay away from it completely, to stay pure until you're married, so you don't carry any of that baggage with you into your marriage. So if you're not married and you're going to be, please hear that. Not from a dad who's like, you know, you better. I'm just telling you, you do not want that. You do not want to bring that into your, into, into your marriage, into your marriage bed. But when you're married, that bed is undefiled. Now, Paul says some interesting things about marriage. In 1 Corinthians 7, 8 through 10, he says, But I say to the unmarried, as he was, he was either divorced or she died. We don't know which. We assume divorced because of his faith. She could do that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them to remain even as I am. For if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. But it is better to, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh at him. I think he meant well. I think they fully expected Christ to come in about a week. And as we should, you know. Any day now, any moment now, and so I don't, I don't know what you're wasting your time with marriage for. Let's get out there and spread the gospel. Just a, you know, he changes his tune over a while. In fact, when he gets to Galatians chapter 5, he does change his tune quite a bit and maybe even learns something mid-sentence. He says in, oh, did I even give you the cross-reference? I didn't. Shoot. That's all right. He's speaking of marriage and talking about marriage and the roles of a husband and the roles of a, of, a, of a wife. And he's talking about all these things. And at the end of this chapter 5, he says, it's almost like a light bulb goes off. He goes, this is a great mystery. But I'm speaking of Christ in the church. In other words, marriage is a really, really good thing. In fact, that's the first thing we see in Genesis, <laughs> is that Adam shouldn't be alone. It's not good. He needs a spouse, you know. He needs someone. And so we go on in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. Jesus says, and he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. Wonderful. It's always been that way. It's been by design. I want you to go through life together. I want you to emulate a picture for me. I want you to show a picture to this world that man, Adam, you're like Christ. You're like my son. Eve, you're going to be like the church, the bride. And throughout the entirety of Scripture, the whole relationship between us and heaven is with this picture of marriage. It's very important. It's very good. So don't get that idea that the church says, you know, it's, you're, you're super and more spiritual if you're not married. Not true. It's not true. Is it necessary to be married? No, not if you can 
Have self-control. Celibacy is wonderful. That's nothing wrong with that. But you're not more spiritual. That's important. So 1 Timothy chapter 4 tells us something else. Paul being the writer again, and I'm just trying to string his thoughts together for us. Besides the Galatian 5 moment, he, 5 moment, he says this, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, and here's the point, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Now we'll talk about food in a minute, but the point of that was for the... In the last days, forbidding to marry will be a part of it. And so marriage is very much a part of God's will. It's very important, and it's a wonderful thing. Verse 5, let your conduct, the way you carry yourself, be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? It's a wonderful set of scriptures here, this uh, 5 and 6. My conduct needs to be without covetousness, I need to be content with what I have. That, that doesn't give us the reason to sit down and do nothing. Remember, we're looking at the entirety of Scripture, and this is how we balance it out. It's whatever God has provided for me is enough. I'm content. But we should still be working hard. And if all that that hard work produces is this, this needs to be enough, whatever this is. It doesn't give us a reason to say, ah, oh, that's enough, I've got enough, I'm content to have very little, now I can sit around and no. Nope, it all needs to come together. Hardworking, and whatever that hard work produces needs to be enough. It needs to be, you need to be content with that. He finishes this up with the idea, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what can man do to me. I don't need to have that fear of man. The Lord promises us to be his helper, or he will be our helper. And so therefore, I don't need to fear what man can do to me. Now, he is talking about reputations. He's talking about physical harm, all these things. But he's also talking about financial situations also. He's my helper. I'm not going to fear anything. What can man do to me? And so we're to be encouraged by that. Verse 7. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. And so those who have spiritual leadership in your life, who've spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, consider the outcome of their life. Consider the fruit of their life. We've talked about this before. It's important that we all walk with the Lord as closely as possible. But he makes it a point to say, don't stop watching them. They've been put there on purpose. So that you can see this is what the Word of God sounds like, this is what the Word of God looks like in action, and this is the fruit of the Word of God when it's, when it's fulfilled in someone's life. So that you know that you can follow that path, you can see the full thing ahead of time. It, it is by faith that you follow Jesus, but he set up examples in our life to watch so that we can see, well, it does, it, I don't know how it works, but I can see it working. I have several people like that in my life. And I always am careful to watch their leadership. 
And so he encourages them to do so. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yay. (laughs) He doesn't change. Now he brings him up because at the very beginning of this book, that's what he says, in various times and in various ways, God has spoken to us by prophets and dreams and so on. But in these last days, how has he spoken to us? Through Jesus. And he doesn't change. His conduct doesn't change. His character doesn't change. His word doesn't change. None of that changes. Who he is doesn't change. Culture changes. Culture changes all the time and sometimes too fast for all of us to keep up with, it seems like. I think this, uh, this gender thing has really caught most people off guard. I'm listening to, the, I'm listening to well-meaning people try to argue and you know, or state the case, or try to bring people back to truth, and I, and I, and I struggle with listening to it because it's it's not done. It could be done better. Let's put it that way. I understand the heart of it, but the idea of just screaming over and over again that 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 men have these private parts and women have these private parts isn't the isn't the issue. And I hope everybody knows that. That isn't what they're trying to argue. It's a hardware software situation. And, that, and you can still take them to the truth, but until we can get past just that blurt that we're very good at and explain that the situation is they feel the software has been uploaded into the wrong hardware is the problem. I don't feel like what my gender appears to be is what they're saying. Okay? Um, and so th- now we can tackle the problem. There's a, there's a software problem that they feel they have to the point where they want to change the hardware to match the software. And their software changes so much. Sometimes it's this, sometimes it's that. I don't know what I, that, that's the issue then. And now we can minister properly. We can minister from, from knowledge, from understanding, right? Because it is true. God's word is true. He's made them male and female. Now, the, why don't you feel like you're in the right hardware? Let's talk about that. You know, Charlie Kirk has been doing a wonderful, um, got on the podcast of whatever, and um, been really doing a wonderful job. And if you don't know it, eh, you probably don't want to look it up, but I, I follow pretty closely. And um, the, the, the most times, most of the time on the show, it's boasting about depravity. You know, it's a, it's a council of women and, and, and all sorts of folks that, of different backgrounds and, and uh, perversions and preferences and, and all, saying how good it is and how wonderful it is and trying to make their case for it. And he went on the show. I can't imagine sitting in that room. But he does. And as he's going through and says, why do you do OnlyFans? And, you know, if I, could, if I could do something and give you $10 million, would you stop doing OnlyFans, you know, so that you don't have to make your money that way? And one of them said, well, no, I wouldn't. I'm an exhibitionist. I like this, and this is what I do, and I want everybody to enjoy and all that. And he makes a good comment because that got to the point. He says, how's your relationship with your dad? As long as we're being honest and you want to put yourself out there and you're open to all that, how's your relationship with your father? She goes, there isn't a relationship with my father. So now you're to the point. And as he calmly goes through and listens and is respectful and trying to go through these things, 
he gets past the walls and all that, and all of a sudden these people begin to crumble into souls that have been stolen by Satan. And the ministry can begin, you see. Make no mistake, I don't agree with any of it. Men are men and women are women, I understand that. But in order to win the soul, to win the heart, it doesn't do good to anybody to blurt. That's not how we, that's not how it works. And so it's wonderful to watch this ministry take place and watch these young girls, women now, but turn into in front of your very eyes, seven-year-old and eight-year-old girls and start to understand that there's something deeply wrong, something that needs to be touched by someone much bigger than themselves or anybody else in this world, a heart that is longing for something that's been absent from their lives which is every single person we meet, and we can never, ever forget that. There is a hole, and we, we probably say it too much to where we're even as Christians inoculated. There's a hole that can only be filled by Jesus. Well, yes, but they need to know it. We need to find that hole. We need to find out what was missing, what happened, where did they go, why are they making the decisions they're making, and talk to them about it, you know, so that we can present them with the solution to every problem in this entire world, Jesus Christ. So they could know him. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same gospel that they heard in the first century church is the same gospel we should be sharing now. It's good news. What the Jewish religious folks that he's writing to here, feeling this need to fill this God-shaped hole with religion and with ritual, He's saying, no, <laughs> you've got it. Jesus Christ is. He's fulfilling you. You've got to let him work these things out. You're not going to get more over there. This is superior. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, he goes on. Watch out for that. Oh, as if we don't have enough to worry about. Now we've got to worry about our Bible studies that we go to. That's why we encourage you to carry your Bibles to every Bible study you ever go to. And if you don't have a Bible, that's fine. Yeah. Every one of us didn't have a Bible at one point. Now we do. So get one. They're free. Take one off the back table here. If you don't have one, now you do. You want to buy a better one or something that has a little more substantial commentary in it? We've got those too. Those are for sale, though. We can't give those away for free. Sorry. They're kind of high dollar. But well worth it. So you have your word, and you're listening to the Bible teacher, and you're looking at the word, and you're making sure everything lines up and matches up. That's what we do. So that you're not carried about by these weird doctrines, you know? Various doctrines, strange doctrines, things you haven't heard from us. Now, here's the thing. As much as I talk about the Bible, you know that most of the people that the Bible refers to in this church throughout Scripture, New Testament, never had a Bible. They had scrolls. Paul had some scrolls. There was so much illiteracy. There were so many people that didn't have 27 scrolls on either side. I got the New Testament, you know, kind of thing. They don't have presses. They don't have those things. Everything's handwritten on animal skin. I mean, come on, you know. What did they have? The Holy Spirit. We have to remember who the Trinity is. It's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not the Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures. The Holy Spirit's sword is God's word. That's his tool. That's what he uses for sure. 
But he used Paul's teachings in the synagogue where nobody had scrolls and was taking notes and had margins to write in. They were just listening, and the Holy Spirit was their teacher and guide, and they remembered it. And when later on they're like, what did he say? Oh, Holy Spirit, you're going to have to bring that to my remembrance because I can't write. I didn't take notes because I don't know how. I don't have a quill and an ink well with me or whatever. And the Holy Spirit quickens it to their mind. That could be a lot of our problem. Why people don't understand when we talk about the Holy Spirit. When they don't understand, the only supernatural moment they've ever had with God at times is maybe when they were born again as believers. They felt that. We had that last night. It was a wonderful little thing. I'm holding the mic, letting the guys say their names before they get up here. And of course, we, we, we say, you know, if there's anybody else that wasn't planning on coming up and you want to get baptized, come on up. Well, there's a kid in the back different. You know how they all talk the same? They've all got, an, they've all got, there is a prison attitude, you know, our prison verbiage that they use. They're fast, they're quick, they're, they're just like this all the time, you know. And this kid walks up and he's standing there, he's got long blonde hair, you know, he's just standing there. And I'm like, oh, this is great. This kid comes up and the guy behind him says, yeah. He was sitting in the back and he says, Leans over to me, says, why do I feel funny? And I told him, I said, that's a conviction of the Holy Spirit. He says, you need to get up there and get baptized. And so he got up. That moment, that, that Holy Spirit supernatural moment needs to be happening repeatedly in our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. That happens over and over again. Washings, floodings, fillings, I don't know what you want to call it. I don't even want to use the right words because someone will say, that's not biblical. Well, whatever it is where you're overcome by the presence of God, however you want to describe it, needs to be happening over and over in our lives. It's amazing. Don't be carried about by false doctrines and weird things that people say. It's not, it's not right. Here's, what, here's some of them. He gives us some examples. We already hit on the one where they say don't marry. And it talked a little bit about food in those cross-references that we just said. For it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods, which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Boy, you spend a lot of time thinking about food, what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat so that you can be holy. How about we get established with grace? Established, that's the rock I stand on. That's the firm foundation. The grace of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection, all of these things. This is what I stand upon. Grace, 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 and more grace. It's not the starting point, it's the only point. Foods? You know? When people move into these strange doctrines thinking that this is going to make me, and, I, and this is important because it's going to come up here in a minute. I've got several places where I can go on a rant. I'm going to try not to go on too many tonight. But foods is one of them. They were teaching them, fine, you love Jesus, but no pork. I don't think that's what God told Peter on top of the house when the sheet came down and and they had that moment with the Lord where he was saying, I'm not going to eat with Gentiles. I'm not going to defile myself. I'm not going to eat anything bad because I'm a good Jewish boy and I'm a Christian. 
He says, don't call common what I've cleansed. Maybe it was, but it's not anymore. I've cleansed it. Don't be preoccupied with that stuff. If you come across a group of believing Jesus lovers, they're probably still saved, maybe. And they're telling you you can't have ham. Just take them to these passages or walk away, whichever you feel more comfortable with, because that's not biblical. Don't let those who are preoccupied with food steal the grace that God has given you. They're pulling you into legalism. They're pulling you into thinking there's something external that has to happen for your salvation and not spiritual. It's all spiritual. He's changed our lives. He's changed our... We're being conformed into the image of Christ, not bodily, but spiritually. So when I, when I get to this, this is the rant. Do not be carried about with various strange doctrines. One of those things is, I'm reluctant, the King James only thing. Well, you know there's missing Bible verses in the NIV that are in the King James. Have you ever looked them up? Have you ever looked into them? My first Bible was an NIV. It's not anymore. I do a new King James, so I make everybody mad. King James people and the NIV people. I just try to cover it all. The verses, they're not there. Okay, but are they discussed anywhere else in the NIV Bible? Absolutely. The doctrine's not lost. It's there. Is it the best? Probably not. Not for study because it's not a word-for-word translation. It's a, it's a paraphrase. In other words, this is what the author meant to say, so they paraphrase it in modern language for you to read. Are you going to hell because you read NIV? No. If you read from Genesis to Revelation, you'll get all the doctrine that's spoken of in the King James. Now, why do I bring that up? Because one of the biggest verses that's missing is this. It, it, well, I don't have the address, but the verse is this, and these can only come out by prayer and fasting, and the NIV avoids that, and therefore the demons have rights and they can slip by us all. Do you really think that your caloric intake has something to do with your ability to cast out demons and those who do, how often have you run into a demon and said, oh, I wish I'd have prayed and fasted. If I'd only known, I could have cast them out. Most of you have never seen a demon-possessed person. If it is caloric intake and you're talking about physical fasting, do you do it now that you have your King James Bible? Or have you not missed a meal in 30 years? Because you don't know when you're going to run into a demon-possessed person, so are you prepared that day by fasting for that person you're going to run into or not? Or are you going to find them and say, hold on, I'll be back in three days, and not eat? Or do we go with the entirety of Scripture that says from Old Testament to New Testament, I'm not talking about food. This is the fast that I'm choosing for you. I'm choosing spiritual things. Can you... Not watch Netflix for 14 hours every day? Can you not do porn? Can you not cuss and swear? Can you not be a drug addict? Can you not do all Can you separate these things and walk with me and be close with me and spend time in prayer with me and fast from this world so that you can lose the bonds? Okay, rant over. I told you I was careful. 
But we spend so much time being able to say, I have a King James, you have an NIV, I'm more spiritual. No, you're not. Because you don't fast like you're supposed to, because that's the verse that's missing in their Bible, and you don't do it. Be careful. We spend so much time worrying about these things, we don't do the very basics that we haven't even got a handle on yet. Praying. Quiet times. Spending time with the Lord. Avoiding sin. We're going to talk about that in a minute, if I can get through this. We started late, not my fault. So he says, the writer here, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. You think you want to go to their altar? I'm telling you, you're in an altar already that they can't come to until they're born again believers in Jesus Christ and shed that old covenant. There aren't two covenants. It's evolved into one covenant, the new covenant. This is it. They're going to an altar that doesn't exist anymore. They're going back to a sacrificial system that doesn't count anymore, that isn't even observed by God anymore. He left the temple. He is, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now my spirit dwells in you. I'm looking at things spiritually now. Those who want to worship me must worship me in spirit and truth. We're not going to worship on top of that mountain or down there below. Pretty soon you're going to worship in your hearts. The whole scriptures is designed for this moment. He's telling them, you think you're missing out by going back to this old... No, no, no. They are. They're missing out. They have no right to come to this. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. So he's going back to it. Okay, here's what you're missing. You, you want to bring your lamb or your goat and you want to sacrifice it, but don't you know that they, they do that and then they take it outside the camp like, therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered outside the gate. Jesus is the lamb and he's the one. There's There's no other animals to offer. He's the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Once for all, it's done. Therefore, let us us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. If they kicked him out, killed him outside the city, buried him outside the city, by the way. Some people wonder about which of the two tombs in Jerusalem is the real one. Is it the one that the Catholic Church built the sepulcher over the top of inside the city or the one that's in the garden outside the city? Scripture tells us. Go out there with him. We should be in the garden. We should be at the tomb. We're not welcome there anymore. That's all right. We're at a better altar. He's trying to encourage them. There's nothing to go back to. And beside that, they should be jealous of us, not, not vice versa. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. So we can't go to Jerusalem because that's not the one, you know. No, the new Jerusalem I'm waiting for is far superior to the one that you say I can't come into. It's beautiful. Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That's why that song was so perfect tonight. You want to bring something to God? You Jewish people that want to go back to the old altar, you want to bring animals and blood and go through the rituals and and all that, here's what you can do. You can bring praise to him. Anytime you feel the need to kill a lamb or a goat or something to kind of feel religious, sing a song to him. He'd much prefer that. Praise him. Sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. 
But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Three things. Praise the Lord, do good, and share with other people. Think of it this way. If reverse is sin, not sinning is neutral. Doing good is drive. Okay? We need to be in drive. Not just sitting in neutral. I'm not sinning today. Kick it in. You know, do good and share. Verse 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. Look, it's not a good idea to come against those who are your leaders. Now, I've always got to explain this. In America, you do understand who's in charge, right? It's us. We don't live under Caesar. We don't live under Nero. We don't live under that. The people that represent our will in Washington, D.C., we vote for and allow to represent my will. If my will is not being represented properly, I vote differently for somebody else. It's my responsibility to do that. So let's be clear on that. Be submissive to them because they're watching out for your own soul. So who else besides Congress and the Senate and, and, uh, and the President and the Supreme Courts and all and, and the judges? Well, there's police officers. There's, there's all sorts of folks that have some court of authority. We need to be careful. They're, they're there to look out for us and to watch out for us. Verse 18, pray for us. Now he's going to wrap it up. Pray for us. For we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things, desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Please pray for us. Even though we're away from you, lift us up in prayer. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ, or Jesus, from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let him do that work in you. Let him fulfill those promises to conform you into his image so that we can be busy about his business, always doing our Father's will as he did. Verse 22, And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words, this is a short letter for him. <laughs> Bear with his exhortation. Don't throw it away. Don't cast it off. Don't feel it. Don't have an aversion to it. You know, Bear with it. Let it sink in. Read it again. You know, Let it soak up. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Timothy's out of prison, so therefore... We ought to be coming any day now. That's his biggest concern. Finally, we can get a move on, you know. Timothy's been locked up. Never liked Timothy's okay. It's been a really hard thing for him. He's taking a vacation down by the Mediterranean or anything like that. It's like, he's out. We're coming, you know. Did you pack your bag, Timothy? Yeah, kind of. You know, I'm limping here, but I'll, I'll make it. They were tough, tough believers back then. I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. Remember that grace. And that's where we close tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for that we can rest 
in the salvation that we have in you. We can rest in the Lamb of God that's taken away our sin. We can rest. You are our Sabbath. You are our high priest. You're a better covenant. You are superior. You've given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, and it's all found in the knowledge of you, and we thank you for that, God. There's nothing more to add to it. Jesus, you're complete. Lord, help us to know that in our hearts, Lord, to walk that way, to read your word with grace, to understand your word, and let your Holy Spirit do supernatural things in our lives, to teach us as we read, to give us opportunities to be Christians to those around us, to be the light of this world that we need to be, that we'd be so in tune with your Holy Spirit, we'd be able to meet needs, not just in neutral, not sinning, but in drive, going forward with you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Otherwise, have a great rest of the night.